Welcome to Latte with a Lawyer, a podcast dedicated to bringing you the stories of some of America's most successful lawyers, figuring out what makes them tick, how they creatively solve problems, and how others aspiring to be them can follow in their footsteps. Okay, everybody, uh, welcome to another episode of Latte with a Lawyer. I'm your host, Jonathan Brickman, and this afternoon for me and this morning still for you, we have Sue Ann Van Der Meiden, and this is her law firm, Vandermeiden Makis in uh, California. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Um, so it's still morning, and uh, our standard question, latte with a lawyer, what's your morning beverage of choice? Oh, I do multiple coffees, uh, cups of coffee every day, always black with my Nespresso machine. Nespresso. Yes. That is, uh, that's in vogue, isn't it? Nespresso. No more Keurig. It's Nespresso. Absolutely. I graduated from Keurig to Nespresso too. Yeah. So, I mean, I was never, I got to be honest with you, I was never a big fan of Keurig. I don't think the taste is that great. Are the Nespresso's better? You know, I like them and there's all kinds of different ones. You know, the Virtuosa or Melosia or Caramel Candy or whatever it might be. So I like it. (laughs) I like to mix them up. All right, good, good stuff. Well, I know that's like really important to know about you, so we'll, we'll, <laughs> right. we'll move we'll move on to your law practice. Okay, so uh, so tell us about uh, the type of work you do out there. So we, I guess, we would be considered employment lawyers, all of us, but we have a niche practice within that, which is we primarily do workplace investigations and campus sexual assault investigations. Okay. Pretty much any misconduct allegations in the workplace, whether it's the CFO embezzling money or there's a claim that an executive had a relationship with a subordinate and was giving that individual favored treatment to any type of harassment, discrimination, retaliation, or misconduct in the workplace. And then on the campuses, uh, we typically we do a lot of student-on-student sexual assault cases, um, sometimes involving faculty. Uh, So that is the work we do. Uh, We are considered neutrals. We don't represent anyone or any organization in an capacity. I used to do that litigation and I no longer do that. We're just neutrals. Oh, you're neutral. Interesting. Okay. So who, who engages with you then? Almost exclusively the employer has to engage us because they have the obligation by law. Uh, to conduct an investigation of behavior. So we are retained by the employer. So you are working for the employer then? Technically, we're paid by the employer, but we don't represent them in an advocacy capacity. The idea is that we have no interest in the outcome and we will follow the evidence and the facts where they go, whether it's in, uh, in favor of the claim happening or not in favor of the claim happening. So. Okay. Well, maybe a little nuance that, but I mean, it's so someone within the organization complains, the employer says, okay, we need to investigate this and they engage with you. Correct. Okay. So, um, but they may have some liability, right? The employer? Uh, yes. Very, very often there, there's anticipation of litigation from one party or the other. That is absolutely true. Yes. But you're not, so there could be a defense attorney for the employer and a plaintiff attorney for the claimant. 
and you're you're just performing this investigative function. Is that right? That's correct. Yep. I mean, the idea is if the employer has has a dispute in the workplace between two of their employees, they need a tool to take whatever the appropriate is, and so we then give them more likely than not this did or did not occur. That helps them decide: do we take corrective action? Do we terminate? Do we exonerate? What do we need to do? And then because they have a legal obligation to conduct investigations, particularly if it's harassment, discrimination, or retaliation, in the, as part of their defense, they can say, we hired a third party uh, investigator to do conduct a good faith investigation based on those findings. We took this action. And so therefore it can either mitigate or limit damages if they appropriately do that process. Ah, I see. Interesting. Okay. Very interesting. Um, but you were, you, you did, uh, you were a litigator before you said. I was from 1993 till early 2007. And that's when I left the partnership of a firm that I loved to start my own practice doing just investigations. So, so what happened? Why, why the pivot? You know, I, it's an interesting question that I've never totally been able to answer because I'm pretty risk adverse. So to leave what I affirmed that I love with great partners and great career was kind of a big deal. I think and if I was honest about it, I, I think I was a, I would think I was a good litigator, but I feel like I'm a great investigator. And I, I, and there's something fulfilling about doing and making a difference before you get into court. Uh, in court, kind of it's lose lose. Nobody's really truly happy often. Uh, that's right. not the case, but here we can make a difference. We can make the workplace or campuses better before litigation, um, and it feels good when the right thing happens. So if it does go to litigation, do you serve like an expert witness? I'm a percipient fact witness on the investigation I conducted. Okay. I do expert work, but I can't be an expert on my own work. Oh. But if there is litigation, wouldn't they refer to the, the investigative work that you've done? And then they would hire an, an expert to either challenge my investigation or to say it was done within standard practices. So they'd have oh. to have a separate expert to opine on the job I did or my firm did. Oh, interesting. Okay, very interesting. Okay, good. Wow. That's, so you're, you're the first of your kind that I've talked to. So I'm, I'm, I, I may ask you some questions. Just I'm curious about what you do. It, it sounds fascinating, actually, uh, the investigative board. So what are the skills that make you good at that? You said you're great at that. You're a good litigator, but you're great and investigation work. So what is it that makes you great at it? Well, I think part of it is having an employment law background. So I know how things play out in a courtroom and through litigation, that's one piece. But the other piece is you just have to be really, really curious and interested. And just no matter what it, you know, the topic is to just understand a, an individual's experience. Um, so that's one thing is just being really curious. And mm -hmm. I love people. People fascinate me. We do fascinating things. And so I have that. And then it's, it is a learned skill to learn how to interview. It's, it's different than when you're a litigator. It's not a cross-examination. It's not an interrogation. It is a very neutral process. So you have mm -hmm. to learn where to push. And uh, so I think part of it is it's a human connection thing. Hmm. And how, how does one learn how to become good at that? Well, that since you asked, uh, in, we formed an association, we being me and my some of my colleagues who were doing this work on our own and we're all lonely and trying to figure out what do we do in this situation? So we formed an association 
yeah. uh, in 2009. It's the Association of Workplace Investigators, and it's really the premier organization now on teaching and developing standards in the area. Uh, so that's one notable source where you can learn a lot. But also, I mean, you just, you, it's helpful and you should know employment laws because a lot of what we're doing, even though we don't make legal findings, so mm -hmm. I would not determine whether or not somebody unlawfully sexually harassed somebody, but it's helpful to have that as a backdrop. And then we determine whether or not company policy has been violated. Mm, interesting. Um, very interesting. So tell us, I mean, just walk us through sort of the journey of becoming an attorney. Like, tell us about like, what, how'd you start? And then why'd you decide to go to law school and employment law? Well, that's doing some investigative work on you here. Yeah, yeah, you are. Um, I grew up in, in North Dakota on a farm and uh, had never met a lawyer, never knew a lawyer, never been in a courtroom. Um, somehow found myself in California in college in my fourth year. And I thought, oh, no, what am I going to do now? I had a political science degree with a minor in business administration and so I decided the best thing to do when you don't know what you're going to do is to go to more school. Uh, and so I, I ended up in law school without any knowledge of what that really meant for me, um, primarily because I just didn't know what else to do. And really? So that's interesting. School. Yeah. I'm so lucky because I love being a lawyer and I know there's a lot of people that don't, but it wasn't like a perfectly mapped out journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So are you a first generation college student? My father did. She was a farmer. My mother went to nursing school. Okay. Yeah. And with your name, I'm guessing uh, Northern Europe or something like that. How'd you end up in North Dakota? You know, I was adopted. Uh, I was my birth mother. Um, had me, but she hid from her family because she was the oldest of four kids and wasn't supposed to be pregnant as an unwed mother. So she put me in an orphanage in North Dakota. Um, my father and mother adopted me. Fast forward to the end of that story is my birth mother found me a few years ago. So I have this whole other family out there now. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, so that's your adopted name. No, my name is actually my ex's name, oh, unfortunately. Okay, okay. Yeah, but my firm, <laughs> I'm known as it now, so I couldn't change it back to my own name. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Yeah. And wh where is he from? My ex? Yeah. Uh, let me be kind here. Uh, he, his name is Dutch. Is Dutch? Yes. Okay, okay, got it, got it, okay. So, I mean, what's, what was the, what's the, um, I guess what I'm getting at was, I was curious about it, and now it's totally off. We're on a tangent here, but, uh, the immigration pattern to the Dakotas, like where do people come from there? <laughs> That's why I was wondering, like, is that like? So my adopted father was Norwegian and they landed on the farm because it was, they had taken the railroad across the country, jumped off. And we, so we grew up right by the railroad, but yeah, it's a fifth generation farm. My dad was Norwegian. Oh, so what is that part of the world then? Yeah, I'm I'm Cuban, so I don't fit into any of that. But um, yeah. Wow, Cuba. Okay, well, I live in South Florida, so we have a lot of people from Cuba here, right? And uh, Central America and 
Mexico and every other place south of the United States. Yeah, I went to Cuba one time and ran a half marathon there. Uh, and it was a, a fascinating journey. Wow, I bet, yeah. I just actually, as an aside, we were just in New York and watched uh, our niece uh, run the marathon, New York City Marathon. Uh, oh, and my friend just ran it. It was her 68th marathon. I heard it was really hot. How did you- 68? She's run 68 marathons, yes. You're kidding me, wow. No, no, I am not. So how did your niece do? Uh, she did amazing. She uh, ran it in like 347. Wow. It, and it was warm. It was a warm day. Uh, it rained a little bit. And uh, yeah, that's, I mean, it's just amazing how many people run that race in all different sizes and shapes and ages. And it's really, uh, it's really something. It's impressive for sure. It's super, super, super impressive. Um, so interesting. Okay. I'm trying to think of questions I want to ask you because you're different than a typical attorney. I mean, you are a lawyer. So yes. Law school. Okay. Yes. Um, give it. Give us an example of like a really interesting case that you worked on, or one that stands out. Well, they're all I would say extraordinarily interesting. Um, many are public, so you could Google and find several that I've done. Oh, fun. Yeah, I want to look uh, at that. <laughs> but yeah, there's there's a lot of very interesting ones. I. I you know, I think maybe if you if you date back, I don't know if you remember the pepper spray issue on the UC Davis campus. Vaguely. Um, yeah, there was that issue the whether or not the police pepper spray pepper spraying students, you know, incorrectly. And so we did that investigation. That was interesting. Yeah. We have a couple really big ones right now where uh, a school school is being accused of no teachers were molesting children from years and years ago and allowed it to continue. Um, so we have two of those happening. We've yeah. got, uh, they're all just really interesting. They're all just really different. We have, it's interesting as, as times change, the types of claims evolve. We have a lot of claims now that uh, come out of say a TikTok video um, yeah. or some social media issue that has happened. So that's, and, you know, as issues, societal issues happen, you know, at any given time, we might have more sexual harassment claims, sure. might have more race claims. And as political things happen and people talk about that at work, yep. we get investigations around that, too. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. My daughter actually complains about what happens on her campus. She's at uh, Skidmore College, a little liberal arts school in upstate New York. And uh she complains about the activity there too. Yeah, you know the the Title Nine is is typically what is governing the schools about their sexual harassment, sexual yeah. assault kinds of investigations, and and the Title Nine world has changed quite a bit as mm. the administration turns over. So the schools are really trying to keep up with the the new regulations and the expectations of them. But their bottom line is they need to keep their students safe. So yes. I hope your daughter has a good experience overall. Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, she's a little, uh, yeah, a lot of it depends on, on your personality type too, whether you're susceptible, you know, whether you, how you perceive the world, let's put it that way, right? <laughs> we, we all have a lens through which we view things. For yes, sure. correct. 
but it is still a big problem um, on, on college campuses. No, obviously from the work you do. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's, yep. uh, it's just amazing to me. Again, it's like, some, you know, the more things change, the more things stay the same. I mean, human behavior with all the advancements in technology, human behavior has not changed at all. We are fallible, fallible, that is for sure. And you know, it's interesting when the pandemic hit, we all hunkered down and thought, wow, how is that going to impact our work? Because we deal with workplace conflict, right? Right. Um, and surprisingly, our work has only increased. So the fact that people may not be together as much anymore doesn't really matter. These things that um, people are still engaging in misconduct and people are still perceiving misconduct. Oh, and, sure. Well, you do it through dig digitally. No. Yes, and there's still conferences, and there's still um, many opportunities to misbehave. Yes, there, there, there are. Um, I've, I've witnessed some of it firsthand, so I, I, I know it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's just again human behavior. So, yes. Um, so wait, so what part of California are you in now? So. That's interesting you ask. We started the firm in Sacramento, and then we built okay. out a, a Bay Area office, then a San Diego office, and now an LA office. So I just last week moved from Sacramento to San Diego. So I live in San Diego now. Oh, nice. You can see I haven't hung my, my painting yet. Um, so, and then we are opening an Arizona office in Q1 of 2023. So we're expanding, and I end up traveling a fair amount. Okay. Now, how many how many uh, colleagues do you have in the firm? You know, the reason I don't automatically know that number is we have law clerks and interns who some just passed the bar, but we have close to 30 lawyers. Okay. Um, we have staff on top of that. So we're under the 50 employee mark somewhere. Okay. Um, and is that like, how does that rank like for the type of firm that you have? Is that considered a large firm? It is. It's a it's a very large firm for doing solely neutral work. It's not a large firm for if you were to just be an employment defense firm, of course, because we have national and international firms that are huge. But in terms of the number of people who only do workplace and campus sexual assault investigations, mm. I think probably the biggest, probably in the nation, even. I see. So do you get do you get referrals from uh, employment firms? Do, you do. Absolutely. Yes. I would say it's one of our biggest referral sources is employment defense lawyers because they do the litigation and they're conflicted out then typically from doing the investigation. Uh, I see, okay. So we do a lot of work um, that's referred by defense lawyers. Oh yeah, what I was wondering is like, does the employee engage you first and then if it gets to litigate, but it goes either direction. The, the employer engages us almost always. The employee who's complaining would not be required to. But I mean, my question is like, does the investigation proceed an uh, employment defense firm getting involved? Most often, yes. Oh, it does. Okay. Yes. Most often we are hired or retained before there's litigation uh, or, and, but, you know, many companies okay. have long time standing defense lawyers that they have work with on a I see but and yeah how you, often does it turn to litigation most of the time you know I don't have visibility into what happens after us all, all the time yeah um, I would say historically it was probably a, a much lower number than it is now maybe historically 20 percent of our investigations went to litigation 
I, I don't know the number, but I know it's increasing. And I know that for a couple of reasons. One, um, we are called to testify more often now, or, or a file is being requested or subpoenaed. So we have visibility if that happens. Yeah. But yeah, more more so now than when we first started this type of work in 2000, whatever it was, seven. Okay. Are you are you part of these, um, you know, there's a whole genre of these platforms like as expert witnesses, as expert networks. Are you part of those platforms that they find you on? No, I have not joined any of those expert platforms, but I, I do expert work. Um, I take them very carefully. I don't, I don't do a lot. I'm far more a practitioner first than an expert second. I'll okay. only get a few of those. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Got it. So your business is continuing to expand. Rapidly. We can't hire fast enough. It's hard to get really good talent right now. It's a big competition for good talent. But oh. we, yeah. Definitely. Do you, do you need to be a lawyer to do that job or not? In my firm, we require you to be a lawyer. Yes. Yeah. Okay. In the world, you can do workplace investigations. If you're a licensed private investigator, an attorney, or if you're a professional that works for the organization itself. So it's if you're employed by the organization, those are the only times you can conduct an investigation. Okay. So if someone is going to law school, like how would they, like what would be the path to find your firm? Well, I just created a workplace investigations um, class at McGeorge School of Law. So I'm teaching a third term. So, but if you did, if if you wanted to pursue this path, you would take every employment law class you could get, and if they had a workplace investigations class, you would take that course, I should say, uh, and then of course attend the week long institute at the Association of Workplace Investigators that has a certificate process in testing process at the end of the week. So those are probably the the three things that you could do. Okay, interesting. And is it expanding because there's just more of this behavior in the world? Or you're consolidating the, the market a little bit, or maybe yeah, both. I think it's expanded because of the laws that have come down. Right, um, once once it was mandated, had to conduct an investigation when they became when they knew or should have known of sexual harassment. Um, then that started to expand to any kind of misconduct, and now employers are. And sometimes I think employers don't want to make the hard decisions either. Right, they, yeah. they have a third party to here and we'll take action and um, um so yeah it's a, and it's a, it's a particularly large number of investigations in california because we have very progressive laws and on yeah. the east coast the midwest starting to see you know pop-ups of small shops that do only the neutral workplace investigations work mm. it's interesting that use of the word neutral because mediators use that as well yes right yes <clears throat> yep they have no interest in the outcome that's the idea we we likewise don't right anyway it, it, it sounds very interesting it's funny my wife she she considers herself to be a good investigator which i think she is like she's very good deductive reasoning right like i always say to her she should have been a lawyer she just she just has a she has a she has a good mind for that kind of stuff but it's funny even like with our the relationships we have we just like sort of figure stuff out you should tell her about the book called spy the lie it's one of the most fascinating books really I've read i gotta write it down I yep. spy the lie yep it's written by two former uh, cia members and it 
it talks about um, you know detect people who lie in certain ways. Talk yeah. about you know lie detection. It's just very very interesting. Well, the show "Don't Lie to Me." Right. 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 Did you watch that show? I did watch that show. We don't we don't employ those techniques because I'm in no expert in you know demeanor, body language, or anything like that. So we don't employ those techniques. But it is fascinating. It it is actually. I mean, this is, is totally off. This is off this topic here. But I mean, that is the platform that we sell, which is a uh, it, it's a platform that picks up uh, facial action coding. So you can. When people, you test a theory, I mean, you're not doing that kind of work. So that's why I'm telling you about it. But, you know, a, a trial lawyer, before they go try a case, they want to test a theory. So they would present their case digitally to a panel audience. The software is trained to pick up their um, emotions based on facial action coding. What's the software called? Yeah, it's called Emotion Track. Okay. Should have, I should have deduced that actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's, uh, but uh, yeah, so I, I, I realize you know, you're, not, you're not in that business, but uh, I, I will pass on that book because uh, I think she'd find that interesting. Absolutely. You would too. Yeah, yeah, I probably would too. I got too many books on my list. I never get through them. Ditto. Yes. It's impossible to get through them. I try, I really do try, but it's not easy to set time aside to read, is it? I totally agree. And and when you read all day as part of your job, it's less appealing to crawl into bed and read before you fall asleep too. It really is. So I'm curious what if you use any technology in the practice and if so, what do you leverage? So we have a document management system that we use called NetDocs. Um, we just converted from WorldDocs. Uh, we also use a billing uh, platform called GoClio. Uh, and those primary ones that we use I, is some sort of a uh, management system for people. Yeah. Um, keeping track of, of all our contacts. And so that's the next thing on our list to, to a look CRM. at. You mean like a CRM? CRM, exactly. There you go. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan of a CRM. You got to manage the uh, contact relationships. So, yes. yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, interesting. Okay, good. Um, well, listen, final uh, words for the audience about, you know, your firm and what you want people to know about you and the best way to connect. So I guess I would say that um, my sort of our philosophy is turn your frustrations into fascinations uh, and really just stay fascinated in life. And, and when you hit crisis or troubled waters to stay fascinated but if anyone ever needs help in the work investigation world we certainly know people and or could help and same with um, campuses we like to keep them safe excellent good stuff well listen it's been a pleasure uh, spending time. and for everybody uh sue ann van der Meiden, that's a tough one with van der Meiden makus um in California, not just in uh, Northern California, but all over the state, I guess now, and soon Arizona. Correct, yes. Yeah. Well, and thank you for having me, Jonathan. A pleasure to chat with you. Absolutely, and again, we already talked about, but this show is sponsored by Emotion Track, which is a legal tech platform, and we help trial lawyers uh, prepare for litigation 
for mediation and trials. So I thank will. you again. And I'll pass that along too, Jonathan. Cheers. Thank you. Yep. Bye-bye.